0: Sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
1: By the time I left office, household
2: income was near its all time high, and the uninsured rate had hit an all time low, and wages were rising, and poverty rates were falling. Uh, I mention all this just so when you hear how great the economy is doing right now, let's just remember. When this recovery started.
0: And now, Stacey Washington.
2: I remember when it started?
3: November of 2016. (laughs) That's when the recovery started. And I would be just as happy if it had been a recovery that occurred under President Obama. You know why? Because I'm just interested in people getting back to work, I'm interested in people not having the generational poverty that plagues some segments of our society. So it's not really about who's bringing the recovery, but you got to give credit where credit is due. Just please, somebody tell me that they go to work and they do their job well. And then when someone else comes and takes credit for it, you don't you don't at least say, well, what, I, I was there, too. I, I, I think you're talking about my project. I, I no you know, no offense, but that's my job. I did that most of us would at least pipe up a little bit and say you helped but i was there. <laughs> so, welcome back to the show. Uh we have Richard Lamb, creator of this American President podcast. He'll be with us next segment. Right now, i want to hear a little bit of commentary about um this this Harrison Booker dichotomy and i think what's interesting is we're going to see more of it, but it was it, it was the hearing that let us actually view the two of them juxtaposed against one another right next to each other. And it's an almost frantic thing that Cory Booker is doing. And first of all, I don't, I, I don't guess anybody told them that replicating the success of Barack Obama in him being a one-term junior senator with virtually no political background other than being a community organizer and activist, that a, an election that propels someone like that to the forefront, that's not going to be easy to replicate. Just being black and being in the Senate and having a really catty attitude isn't going to cut it anymore. Millions of Americans who took that chance and voted for Barack Obama were disappointed greatly. And now Cory Booker and Kamala Harris think, well, but we're black and we also can do whatever we want to do. And they can. They can run for president, but it doesn't mean they're going to be able to replicate. First of all, Barack Obama had a a secret weapon at his disposal, which was the two young daughters and a wife who was politically astute, oh, she made some flubs, but she, she knew how to carry the parts of their constituency that she needed to carry in order to support her husband into the presidency. Kamala Harris, she doesn't have that. And Cory Booker is single and also not mainstream. So we, you know, we're, what, what, what do we see? The two of them basically jockeying and fighting each other over crumbs. It's like they both are fighting over a single grain of rice. It's comical to watch, but it's also perplexing because do you know you're fighting over a grain of rice? They don't have the biggest of chances. Elizabeth Warren has said definitively, definitively that she's not running. And it's interesting because by all intents and purposes, she would be the one that everyone would think would they'd hand the baton over to. I've heard some rumors and we've even interviewed people here on the show about Hillary Clinton doing her thing. Again, Um, I don't see it, but she's going to keep the speculation up, obviously, because it maintains her power base. So here is this commentary about Harrison Booker using the hearing to one up each other for 2020. It's number five.
4: And I think you're now. And I think you're now seeing uh, the two people that are the most talked about, likely 2020 presidential contenders on the Democratic side of this panel are Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Uh, Kamala Harris, in questioning Kavanaugh late last night, had a moment that went viral, uh, and she got a lot of attention for it in the overnight hours and this morning about questioning him in about any comments he had with a, a lawyer or a member of a law firm about the Mueller investigation, indicating right. she knows there's something there. And then her potential 2020 rival, Cory Booker, who sits near next to her on the panel, uh, comes out swinging this morning saying, I'm breaking Senate rules. This is my only chance to have a Spartacus moment, and I'm willing to get kicked out of the Senate over this. So I think you also have some one-upsmanship one going on uh, among the Democrats as well.
3: Yeah, I, I, but it's not working because people – so in order to – Really, execute one upsmanship. You have to have something that is legitimate that you can show that's like, yeah, she's had some pretty pointed questioning, but I've actually flouted the Senate rules by releasing confidential documents in an effort to alert the American people to something really, really important. Not only were the documents no longer confidential, but they only show that Kavanaugh is not only not a racist, but that he worked on behalf of aggrieved parties who had experienced, uh, you know, he, he, he basically said, I don't want anyone to experience racial profiling. Now, I actually disagree with that. And so here we are. I'm in the unique spot of getting to disagree with uh, Judge Kavanaugh. He felt after 9-11 that racial profiling would be wrong. I absolutely take the opposite view. Racial profiling is one of the mechanisms by which Israelis and the Israeli defense forces and all of the people that protect their airports and their borders and everything, they use racial profiling as well as other indicators to single out people who might be planning to commit terror. They do that. That's what they use. So the idea that we can't use that, I I totally disagree with Judge Kavanaugh on that. But Cory Booker's intent in releasing that information was not to highlight that he didn't want to use racial profiling. He thought he could use that as a way to show that he did want to use it. And it didn't work. I mean, I just, geez, it did not work. So um, it was just, it was ridiculous. So then you have Cory Booker's office stonewalling on if he knowingly lied about the Kavanaugh doc's classification status. So. Once it was realized by people in the media and Shannon Breen was one of the first people to send out a tweet and say, wait a second, we've just called. This information is not classified anymore. You didn't actually release anything that was classified. Her, her, her office, her, her staff for her television show on Fox reached out to Cory Booker's staff, his office in the Senate And said, are you guys aware that your member is saying that he's released something that's confidential? When in reality, these items were made available last night according to the process. Like it was just a normal, someone asked for them and so they were declassified and now they're available. They've been available since last night. His release this morning is of non-classified information. It's not, there's no rule that's been broken. And so his office stonewalled. Instead of just admitting, oh, so it wasn't classified after all, well, You win some, you lose some. No, they had to keep up the appearances. It's number four
1: morning when he took to the dais and said I'm gonna release these at the very risk of being expelled from the Senate it got a lot of folks attention Uh, he was cautioned by Senator Cornyn and others on the committee about doing that and not long after that he did release these documents so I reached out to his office to say were these part of the documents he was negotiating with Senator Lee about were these documents released or is he really making a point by violating Senate rules or policy by releasing them they wouldn't get back to me well then Senate committee staffers here for the Judiciary Committee told us a number of us reporters, they said these had been cleared by 4 a.m., and there were a number of senators who had been notified, including Senator Booker. So then that raises the question about his speech here about 10 a.m. this morning, the release of the documents about 11 a.m. So I again went back to his staff and said, we need to know about the timing of when he knew these documents were already okay for public release. They wouldn't get back to us about specific timing, but here is what Bill Burke said. He is the man who is going through the presidential privilege with respect to President Bush 43. He said, we cleared the documents. Documents last night, shortly after Senator Booker's staff asked us to. We were surprised to learn about Senator Booker's histrionics this morning because we'd already told him he could use the documents publicly. In fact, we have said yes to every request made by the Senate Democrats to make public, make documents public.
3: So, yeah, it was nothing, and you know, yeah, it was nothing. I'm sorry. So, it, I mean, I'm not sorry. It's I'm not sorry that it was nothing. I just think it's unfortunate that his office was uh, caught up in this. It was basically not just a sham, but an embarrassing um, display that was brought on by his grandstanding and his desire for attention. And we've all been there. So, you know, it's, it's not like this is something that only he's done. But come on. He, he's he got to be held accountable for that. Um So moving into some news about this, because the the Kaepernick story with Nike, it just keeps, it has legs. There's so much more that's being exposed. Um, So different businesses are now shying away from utilizing Nike. And one of them, this is is, is just fascinating, um, is a Missouri college that says that they're not going to use... Um, Nike athletic gear anymore. They're removing college clothing that sports the Nike emblem after the announcement that Kaepernick was going to do the Just Do It campaign. College of the Ozarks president Jerry Davis issued a statement on Wednesday saying that if Nike is ashamed of America, we are ashamed of them. And so College of the Ozarks is nicknamed Hard Work You. Uh, It's in the Ozarks part of Missouri, so way down south. And we've been there before. Uh, We actually took a tour of the college when our daughter was considering where to go. It's one of the only colleges in the country that is completely tuition free because every part of the university is run by the students. So when you go there, whatever you're getting your degree in, that's the area of the campus that you also are required to work a certain number of hours while you're there going to school. And when you leave, now you pay room and board, but you don't pay actual tuition. Those costs are covered uh, by their endowment and by also the, the fact that they have basically zero operating costs when it comes to the functional portion of the university. And it's conservative in nature. There's pictures of Colin Powell and, uh, Ben Carson and, you know, George Bush on the walls. They've given keynote addresses and spoken at commencement ceremonies there. And so we, uh, we visited. It was. It's an amazing university. It's a beautiful campus, and it's in a really nice part of the Ozarks, where you have all these beautiful vistas down the sides of mountains and and the river and all of that. And so they're basically saying, you know what, we're not, we're not, nope, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have um, this kind of athletic wear on our students for their athletic events uh, after this announcement. And so he says in their new. Ad campaign, We believe Nike ex- executives are promoting an attitude of division and disrespect towards America. And that's from the head of their school, Mr. Davis. Um, the private Christian college participates in the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics and has hosted the national men's basketball tournament for 18 years. The college said that it would walk away from the games if the opposing team disrespected the American flag or national anthem by kneeling, sitting or turning their backs. And he said that back in 2017. The college holds a commemoration on September 11th, reading the Constitution on September 17th for Constitution Day, holds a Veterans Day service, and hosts an annual Independence Day celebration to emphasize American patriotism and heritage, and that's according to their website. Neither Nike nor the College of Ozarks responded to Daily Caller News Foundation requests for comment. I I believe he's kind of outlined it pretty clearly. Nike has not really been very verbal about where they're going at this point. They've just lost a lot of their reputational value and they've also really had a tough go uh, when it comes to their stock, their stock price. So August jobs report. This is Friday. This is when we get to learn about the jobs report and this is so awesome. The numbers, you've got the United States creating 201,000 new jobs in August, keeping the unemployment rate at an 18-year low and generating the fastest increase in worker pay since the end of the Great Recession. Now, remember, it wasn't even a month ago that we had a guest, a writer, an, an economics writer on, and she talked about wages being stagnant. Well, that's no longer the case. The unemployment rate actually was unchanged at 3.9%. I saw another site that said it actually dropped a, a one uh, tenth of a percentage point to 3.8. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. Below four. Fantastic. Um, The increase in hiring in August was another solid gain that reflects broad strength in an economy that accelerated in the spring and showed little sign of slowing down toward the end of the summer. And the biggest news in the August employment report was the increase in pay, a sharp increase. Now, remember, we were told um, that that couldn't happen. It's not going to happen. And if it does, it's going to go back down. Well, that's not true. The average wage paid to an American worker rose by $0.10 to $27.16 an hour, which is why we don't have to worry about the minimum wage, because you don't stay there if you're a good employee. What's more, the yearly rate of pay increases climbed to 2.9% from 2.7, marking the highest level since June of 2009. It's good news, people. Good news Friday. That's what's going on right now. So we're going to be back with Richard Lim after these messages.
5: Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's gonna be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com.
0: This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, many writers have talked about the fact that America seems to be in the midst of what is called the Civil War of Values. Victor Davis Hanson provides an in-depth analysis of the origins of our second Civil War. Globalization, he says, had an unfortunate effect of undermining national unity. While some became billionaires in high tech and finance, most other Americans lost out. To make matters worse, the elites blamed the losers, the clingers, and the deplorables for driving industries out of the country because they were too racist or xenophobic to get with the globalist agenda. High tech, he also argues, had a way of disguising poverty. Suddenly, the lower middle class and the poor had in their palms the telecommunications power of the Pentagon of the 1970s, the computing power of IBM in the 1980s, and the entertainment diversity of the rich in the 1990s. At the same time, the new normal were two parents at work, renting instead of buying, and an eight-year car loan instead of a three-year car loan. Higher education helped split the country in two, but not only were universities becoming more left-wing, but they were also becoming far more intolerant than they were in the radical 1960s. Illegal immigration changed America in significant ways. Progressives wanted a new demographic to vote for leftist politicians, while conservatives wanted a pool of cheap, unskilled labor. These waves of immigrants changed the electoral college map and ushered in tribalism and calls for more diversity. Victor Davis Hanson has some suggestions about what might bring the United States together. One solution he mentions is a religious and spiritual reawakening. Yes, there are political and economic solutions, but perhaps the most important is the need for revival. That may be the most important antidote to a country headed for a second civil war. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you
6: on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple
0: or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Happy Friday to you. Um, I'm excited because I love speaking with our next guest, expert, total expert, and also just purveyor of all of the most uncommonly fascinating facts about our American presidents. It's Richard Lim, creator of the This American President podcast. He's a former White House political appointee in the Bush administration. He's an author and a national security commentator. Richard, thanks for joining us today.
6: Thank you for having me. How are you?
3: I'm doing pretty good. I, I got to say those unemployment numbers and the economy numbers, they're just, those, those are, that, that lifts my spirits. I like that. I like the sound of that.
6: Yeah, you know, uh, you know a lot of people think that the best way to solve social ills is to have the government step in and do everything. But, you know, when you have a thriving economy, opportunity expands. And that's what history shows us over and over.
3: True enough. And I think one of the things that we discount or we don't talk about enough is that it's it's not, it's not this loud change. What happens is people start working that weren't working before and then they have income and then that income gets poured back into the economy because they're buying things they couldn't buy before. And that changes their life and it improves their lives. And so instead of complaining or protesting or something like that, they're out you know, saving for an educational goal or saving for a a vacation or taking a vacation or spending money on things that their family needs and they're happy. And so we don't get the same, like the activists are the ones who are upset about this, but they're not the ones who are being helped. It's this weird, like people who are happy aren't out complaining. And so we're not hearing from them, but they're happier because they're working.
6: Right, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, people said the same thing when President Reagan came into office and people assumed that, you know, the sky was going to fall because of this or that or, you know, because of uh, deregulation and all those kind of things. But that didn't happen, and America was definitely better off uh, for it.
3: Absolutely. So let's dig into this George Washington farewell address. So, Hmm? what? first of all, farewell from his time as president?
6: Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's a document that has always fascinated me because essentially here's the founder of the country. He's leaving the stage. This is the last thing he's ever going to say to the American people. You know, he's been in charge of the country, not just as the president, but also during the eight years of the war. So if you think about it, he was the the most important figure on the, the world stand in an American national stage longer than anyone, longer than Franklin Roosevelt. And here he is basically giving his parting words. And it's such a shame that we don't actually, we don't even listen to it anymore. We don't read about it. People used to read about it. It was a a tradition for, you know, American children to read about it in school and learn from the founding father. And we don't do that. This is a man who knew more than anyone else what the dangers were for creating a republic. And it's one of the great documents. It's really a treasure trove of wisdom uh, from the founder of the country.
3: So, what does the farewell address say? Um, Well, first of Mm -hmm. all, if someone wanted it, obviously they could just Google like the farewell address, and they could read it for themselves. Okay, so that's that's how we can get our hands on it and take a look. Um, But what does it say about foreign policy, political parties, and religion?
6: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because when most, you know, we we have, you know, we sum things up, right? So, you know, we want to know what is the bottom line of what he's saying. And there's this surface level message in the farewell address. Most people, you know, they're going to say political parties are bad. They're going to say that essentially uh, America should keep free of entangling alliances. And those, those are, you know, very important to the farewell address. but there's kind of this underlying message underneath that. Uh, and the, the big thing, I think, is the big message I think he has to say is beware of your enemies, your country's enemies, not only because they're your enemies, but because they'll actually pretend to be your friends. Um, and so he talks about citizens, uh, people in the country and outside the country He calls them cunning, ambitious. Uh, So, you know, cunning being deceiving. They'll pretend to be the friend of your country. They'll pretend to be loyal to the country. But in reality, they're not. And he also talks about deluded citizens. He talks about people that think that they're doing what's best for the country. But in reality, they're actually the tools of those who don't have America's best interest in mind. And you know it, it's fascinating because you know we live in an era where you can't question anyone's patriotism, right? You just can't do it. It's it's horrible if you do it. You're being bigoted. But the founder of our country himself warned against people that would deceive and were also deluded. And it's right there in the document. It's all over the document. Mm,
3: I I have it pulled up here, and um. Mm-hmm. I think so. That There's num- number mm-hmm. seven. He says here, perhaps I ought to stop, <laughs> but a so- okay. solicitude of your welfare, which cannot end but with my life and the apprehension of danger natural to that solicitude, urge me on an occasion like the present to offer you, offer to your solemn contemplation and to recommend to your frequent review some sentiments which are the result of much reflection of no inconsiderable observation and which appear Mm -hmm. to me all important to the permanency of our, of your felicity as a people. These will be Mm -hmm. offered to you with the more freedom as you can only see in them, the disinterested warnings of a parting friend who can possibly have no personal motive to bias his counsel, nor can I forget as an encouragement to it, your indulgent reception of my sentiments on a former and not dissimilar occasion. First thing that comes to my mind is what an amazing, beautiful vocabulary he had. We don't see right. people talk like this. We don't hear people use these words. These are the kind of mm-hmm. words that massage your brain and ease the mm-hmm. synaptic firing of your, of your. you know, this is this is the, the, the stuff that we should be reading and listening to to keep ourselves sharp so that we can fully experience, you know, the representative republic that we have.
6: Well, he, he didn't even go to college. So, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, for him, he, he learned so much just on his own. Uh, But, you know, one of the things, the very first uh, thing in the farewell Address is that it's actually addressed to friends and fellow citizens. Uh, Now, most of what he wrote were, you know, official documents. They were proclamations. Sometimes he was writing, you know, he wrote a State of the Unions to Congress. His inaugural address was Both of them were delivered to Congress. But he decided his farewell address. Was to go directly to the people. He could have written it, you know, for Congress and had it read in Congress. He could have sent it to the governors or, you know, whatever kind of the 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 formalities, but he specifically wanted the document to go to the American people and he even says and the, the part that you wrote, he wrote to recommend for your frequent review. So, you know, it's kind of like your dad's it's it's I was I like to compare it to proverbs, you know, Solomon writes so many times in Proverbs, my son, listen to my instruction. You know, bind, bind this in your heart, you know, because this is something he wants us to think about deeply. And, you know, quite frankly, nowadays, you know, it's not even politically correct to talk about the founders in, in a positive way sometimes.
3: Hmm. It is. It's it's interesting in that I couldn't imagine a president from either party writing something and issuing it and saying, I, I recommend this to you for your frequent review. Like Americans what? would stop and you know, put their phones down. We'd turn our TVs off and our radios and actually read it and then save sure. it and review it again later at some point. Um, we don't even we, we don't have that expectation. And if someone had that expectation, it would be rebuffed immediately, probably mocked on Twitter and then the entire incident forgotten post haste.
6: Exactly, and you know what's interesting in the document I mentioned—he talks about deceptive, cunning uh, people. He specifically calls us to distrust the patriotism of those who promote, uh, you know, narrow interest at, at the expense of American interest. And so he talks about political parties. And not just that they're parties that represent narrow interests, but he calls them artful and enterprising, an artful and enterprising minority. Now, back then, this was, he was talking a lot of times on kind of a geographical basis, you know, people that uh, were were more concerned with the narrow interests of a specific region. But, you know, the big divisions now, I think, there's an attempt to really divide us by race, uh, by ideology, political parties take advantage of this. Washington is calling us to be suspicious of that, to, to question the patriotism. And you alluded to what Washington says about religion and morality. Washington talks about religion and morality. He says, "In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars." So he's saying that you know if you're trying to to, to undermine the role of religion and morality that person should have their patriotism questioned. Imagine that. Again, it's not politically correct to say this. This is what the founder of the country said. Hmm.
3: And so talking about religion, because it's such a polarizing subject, because so many people Mm -hmm. have really been raised in households where they haven't experienced true Christianity, Uh, a lot Mm -hmm. of people are of the mistaken belief that, all religions are equal, and that America has to respect all religions to the same degree. That that uh, Christianity is enshrined in our culture. That we have to have all of the Muslim holidays off because we have the Christian holidays off, which is the most utterly right. ridiculous thing. It's like going to work and saying, "I need all my personal holidays off, like my wife and my kids' birthday, my husband, right. you know, I, my grandparents, my parents. We need to have all those holidays off because we celebrate the birthday of George Washington and Martin Luther right. King." <laughs> <laughs> who who would who would even put up with that like you, your oh, boss would be like and thank you so much for coming in today please see hr well, you on your know, way out
6: <laughs> th- there's this attempt to make the founder's deist you know and and if, you know deism of course the belief that god created the earth universe and then walked away god's er, therefore is rendered irrelevant but one of the things and so you know a lot of uh kind of these radicals believe that Uh, you know, you don't need religion for morality. George Washington saw that trend coming. He saw that secular trend, and he he, he addressed it in his farewell address. And I I think it says something that he specifically wrote this in here because he was worried about it. He said, Let us, with caution, indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education— Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. He's saying that, you know, there are a lot of refined, educated people that are going to tell you you don't need religion and morality. Uh, and so you're gonna, you don't need religion for morality. But Roshan is saying, no, that's not true. And, and it's fascinating to me that he put this in his farewell address. And he had to have put it because he was worried about it. He's worried that someone was going to undermine that he wanted the american people to review this document so that they could recognize that and say that's wrong that's not american
3: what are we seeing that cuz i don't i don't see that i don't see people saying no. that's wrong that's not american
6: yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, when I talk to people, um, you know, much older, uh, you know, in, like in their 60s, 80s, whatever, they'll tell me that they used to read the farewell address. And and so, you know, we're a couple generations removed where we don't do that. The Senate, every, every year, I think, on Washington's birthday, they have the farewell address uh, read. But honestly, you know, no one really listens, and it's just one senator that reads it. And, you know, this kind of is supposed to, supposed to supplant for Washington saying we should review it frequently, you know. But it's just this formality now. It's just form, no substance. And I think we're worse off because of this. And, you know, and why, why wouldn't you listen to your, to, to your father's last words to you, especially someone who had done so much to create the country?
3: Yeah, I I don't know. I I think probably what should happen is that people who care about kids getting this information and having a real respect for it have to be mm-hmm. those people who you know print this out and read it at home. Ask the kids, mm-hmm. did you did you know have you covered this in in government or U.S. history or any one of the classes that they have? And if they haven't, maybe reach out to the teachers. I I, I find that um, at least for the k- schools that my kids are in now um the mm-hmm. the teachers are recept- receptive to me kind of asking them questions are you covering this or do you cover this and they usually will respond and say oh okay yeah no we we don't cover that or yes we do and you can express to them you know i wish you would cover this this is important and then you can fill right. the gap at home which i think that's something that parents have to be more and more prepared to do which is you just <laughs> fill in at home because the schools aren't covering everything and um, it depends on where your child is going to school. They might be getting all of it. And, you know, that's fantastic. Right. But for most, they're not.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's so much wisdom in this document. Um, you had mentioned foreign policy. Washington has a lot to say about that. And, you know, a, a lot of it is basically the importance of uh, supporting America's interest in the world. Uh, you know, people kind of summarize his views as, you know, no entangling alliances. Well, Washington was saying that as a tactic, but tactics can change. It's the underlying principle. And what Washington is saying in this is essentially, you know, there's a great warning here where he tells us to not expect from other countries favors or, you know, to assume that other countries are going to do what's in our best interest. He says there's no greater error than to expect or calculate upon real favors from nation to nation, He's saying we need to be shrewd when it comes to the world because this is a, a dangerous world. And that's, you know, nowadays people would call that fear-mongering or whatever. But in Washington State was I mean, he understood human nature. He understood that nations and people seek power. He wanted the American people to be ready for that and, you know, not have this dreamy idealism about the world. But to, to be unashamed about promoting the interests of their country.
3: Mm. So good! Thank you so much for coming on. I got to ask the kids if they've read it.
4: <laughs> so, yeah, um, sure.
3: You have a fantastic weekend, Richard Lem, creator of This American President podcast. We'll be back with more after this. just a minute with stacey washington i had lunch with steve green the ceo of hobby lobby the other day okay i ate lunch with about 300 other people while mr green spoke about hobby lobby's founding and how their family walks out their faith through the company mr green showed photographs of his parents dining room piled high with frames that he and his siblings earned seven cents an hour to assemble today that company is a multi-billion dollar international concern Mr. Green spoke of their latest project, the Museum of the Bible, which is both a technological marvel and a thing of unbelievable beauty. What a legacy of excellence the Green family has left for others to emulate. Most of us will never run a billion-dollar company or design and finance a museum, but our daily work is no less important in God's eyes. Whether it's loving and supporting our spouse, raising godly children, or performing our work duties with excellence, God sees and rewards hard work done as unto Him. That's encouraging. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at stacyontheright.com.
4: Saint John one and one says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Remember in the Word when Jesus was responding to Satan's antics? When Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with food, Jesus responded with himself. He responded with the Word. There are no new tricks in Satan's book. At the end of the day, his job is to create fear and doubt, and you know, steal, kill, and destroy. So if Jesus, who was fully God, responded to Satan with the Word, why do we think that we can get along without the Word? The Bible says, study to show thyself a approved. Equip yourself with the word daily and watch your response to Satan's foolishness change. One of my coworkers, Pastor Joseph Parker, teaches that it's good to read at least three chapters a day. Sounds good to me. Today is a good day to start. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Toni Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com.
5: This is House Call for Health, a company in Massachusetts claims it has a wearable device to help battle opioid addiction. Waltham-based Neurometrics claims its product, Quell, worn on the calf, blocks chronic pain. In an email to Fox News, their CEO said, quote, technology stimulates the sensory nerves in your calf, sending neural pulses to your brain that trigger the release of your body's natural pain blockers. Patients will need to buy the rechargeable neurostimulator worn in a band and also disposable electrodes, which, each lasts about 2 weeks the FDA has approved the device for during the day or at night while sleeping the CEO also telling fox that it could help out against opioid addiction because Americans aren't taking their medications as directed saying quote one of the biggest challenges for any medical intervention is patient adherence the company says the quell device and app will launch this fall for more health news go to foxnewshealth.com house call for health i'm joy piazza fox news
0: this is Stacy on the right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
5: I think whoever wrote that was not elected by the people and has no right to be subverting the people's will. If he has a problem with President Trump. Should come out or she and say it publicly. Period.
6: A lot of people are saying crazy things like like it's the Vice President or it's, it's, or it's another Republican. I have
5: no idea who it is, but I feel like if you got a problem with him, come out and say it publicly. You don't just subvert the people's will by stealing things from the President. You unelected person, President Trump was fairly elected, whether you like him or you don't like him. You have to deal with it. Go to the House, go to the Senate, try to get lawmakers to do something about it. Go to the voters on camera or publicly with your name. Don't be a coward. Do, do you
3: think...
4: Things anonymous.
5: Mm.
3: Okay, that was an interesting comment from her and TMZ caught her right outside of NBC studios in New York and she had a car waiting for her and she gave that comment. So pretty interesting. Uh, I want to go to the phones. Paul in Texas. Thanks so much for calling the show today. Hello, Paul. Yes. uh Welcome to the show.
2: What's your comment? Hey. Good to be here. Uh, am I online right now? Actually, I was listening to one radio program, but you may be on another one.
3: Yes, so um, in hour two we're on Urban Family Talk, In hour one we're on the entire network. So you are still you're still on the radio, but not on Afr.
2: <laughs> okay, so not on Afr. So actually, I'm being recorded across the ways right now. Uh...
3: You're you're on Urban Family Talk, which is a part of American Family Radio. So you're still on the radio.
2: All right. Do you, would you like me to go ahead and answer a question that was asked on your program? And Yeah. Uh, what's what's your comment? Sure. Some, I'm sorry.
3: What's your comment?
2: Okay. Here's what it is. Many people don't really uh, think America is in the, the Bible, but actually, according to the Bible, uh, they are, as far as we know. Okay. Uh, in Ezekiel 38, 39, it talks about, you know, in 36, that uh, Israel will be gathered back into their country. And right in the middle of it all, after they had been establishing at peace in their land, there would be a country to come against them. And it was Magog. And I've got a two or three little quick things so I'll tell you about that, which is real interesting. I've studied prophecy down through the years. I'm an evangelist and I love to get into prophecy. And yet sometimes you have to stay real short and I will do as much as possible. Actually, when Russia, it talks about it, they would go get the Bibles out. Ezekiel 36, 38, 39, gets into it, 37. And in the King James Version, it talks about how that there would be a move uh, of Magog. Now, who in the world is Og? I had a friend who came out of Satanism, and actually he was so involved, and one day he finally got converted. I mean, (laughs) he was truly born again. And uh, after he came out of a hard rock band, this and that, and the other thing the Satanism. Before we destroyed his books, I picked one up, and I believe it was this, in his Bible, and I prayed before going into it, Lord protect me. But when I got in it, it was so interesting because it talked about Og, and it was one of the spiritual leaders over parts of the earth, particularly Russia. It said it would, it was over Russia. Every nation has a prince, authority over that area, all the way down to the locals, and said that Og of Magog would come up at that time, and maybe would be a thought come to him, and he would move down against Israel, with five other countries. Now, that would be Russia, Magog, and I could go in a lot of detail on that. But when they do, something interesting, of course, they're gonna have five countries with them. And out of those five countries, I've been doing about about 30 years. I used to listen to Jack Vanity a lot, which is really a great Bible teacher prophecy. And it's Libya, Ethiopia, Persia, Gomer, and Togomar. Togomar is Turkey. Germany is Gomer. Of course, we know who uh, the others are. And out of it all, when they move against them, right of the left. uh, I'm sorry.
3: Oh, no, I, Yo, I this didn't is say right
2: anything. It's, it, I'll only be here one moment more, or more uh, very shortly. And sure. right in the middle of it all, it says that, um, Tarsus, uh, it talks about her and all her cubs. Tarsus is the old land area of Britain, and we're one of her cubs. And the Cubs of Tarsus would be saying, "Are oh, you come against Israel that's been taken back in the sower? But God will defeat that bound. will be a great earthquake in all those five countries. All those uh, radical Muslims will be wiped out in the earthquake. So that's all I was going to put in there, that I believe there is where the United States is. We're one of the Cubs of Tarsus. So anyway, uh, great okay. you. all appreciate your program.
3: Thank you. Thank you for calling in with that explanation. Um, And so I, I have heard something along those lines before. Um, and you're right. It is, you do have to make a correlation between modern day countries and where they're located and the, the old, uh, the biblical countries. I shouldn't say old, but the biblical countries. Um, I am not a prophecy expert, but I definitely appreciate the call and uh, the research and, and you sharing that with us. Um, so I, I want to ask everyone, especially if you've been listening for a while or if you're new, basically if you're alive to call in for the listener stories. Okay. Now I'm saying that I'm looking for my listener stories sheet. Um, okay. I might need someone to type in the listener stories line for me while I'm Figuring out what I did with that sheet because I'm supposed to tell you guys to call in for listener stories, and I need you, I, we need you to do that so we have those on the air during the week before Shareathon and uh, beyond that. And it's something that we we really love hearing from the listeners on why you love Urban Family Talk, what what it means to you, what what's um, you know anything having to do with you listening to the, the to urban and the different people who have programs on urban family talk. Um so definitely um call in with uh, here we are. I've got it in my uh email. And so I'm just going to read it to you from there. So we have October marathon and the number for you to call in for listener stories is 877-327-5647. You can talk about how Urban has maybe changed your thinking on something. Or maybe, you know, your kids like listening to Abraham Hamilton the Third. I know my kids do. Um we, we listen to it together and then talk politics. And sometimes we end up talking about the word of God because he has a teaching segment at the beginning of every show. Your story could really encourage and bless us. And I love, so I've been getting a lot of email from people saying how much they enjoy listening to the show on the radio, you know, with the expanded audience in hour one. And I've also been getting some email from people who they might disagree on one part, but at the end, they always say it's, you know, it's good to have a different perspective. And, you know, I just appreciate what you're bringing to the air. And that is extremely encouraging. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, It's, I feel really humble because I get to do this and I get to be on, you know, the entire network and urban that I get to do both. It's wonderful and it's a blessing and I'm very grateful for that. And so if you have anything that you want to share, we would love for you to leave us a voicemail at eight, seven, seven, three, two, seven, five, six, four, seven. That's eight, seven, seven, three, two, seven, five, six, four, seven. And your story could be an encouragement and a blessing to someone else who's listening. You might hear yourself during share or the week before and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call and let us know uh, how we're impacting you. So last segment, and we're about to have our break. We're about to go into the weekend and enjoy some time off from politics and things like that. And I think one of the things that has been interesting this week that we've talked about a lot, obviously, the, the hearings, the Kaepernick story, um, the anonymous letter, I've read now a few opinions on it. Some people have said, well, it's good for that person to, um, you know, come out and tell us things that we didn't know about the president. But I tend not to believe what they're saying about the president. I tend also not to believe this Bernstein fellow who's written the book about the president. And that's because the Bernstein guy is against Donald Trump. So it's like having – go pick a bunch of people that don't like you and ask them to write a story about you. Ask them to interview people in your life and write a story about you. Well, they're going to interview people. And even if the people that they interview say wonderful things, their bent is not going to be, well, you know, she's kind of fantastic. I can't find anybody to say anything bad. No, they're going to – oh, so are you insinuating that she really is kind of bad? If the person says, no, I'm not, that's what I'm getting out of it because they want – a certain result. Bernstein wants a negative book about Trump. This anonymous person isn't writing the letter anonymously because they're saying wonderful things. It's because they're saying things that could get them fired. They want to have their cake and eat it too. So there's that. And then there's more good news. It's Friday and I'm not leaving you guys on a bad note. Americans for Tax Reform has just put out another analysis showing that utilities across the country are lowering their rates because of the GOP tax cuts. At least 120 utilities have lowered electric gas and water rates due to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Wow. Thanks to the tax cuts passed by the Republican House and Senate, signed by President Trump, at least 120 utilities across the country are lowering rates. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act cut the corporate rate from 35 to 21%, and utility companies are passing those savings on in the, in the form of lower rates for their customers. So Tampa Electric has um, lowered their, their bills. They're not, actually not going to increase their rates to pay for the Hurricane Irma restoration costs, and they don't have to do that because they have the savings from the tax cuts. Duke Energy in Ohio, which is Cincinnati, Ohio, those customers are receiving approximately, approximately $20 million in annual tax savings on their electric bills starting this month. Co- Consumers Energy in Jackson, Michigan, is uh, issuing a statement from their CEO. They are submitting a proposal to the Michigan Public Service Commission that would lower customer bills starting in 2018 by approximately $200 million. Appalachian Power Company in Milton, West Virginia, they're saving $235 million due to the tax cuts. And they're proposing passing the money back to the customers in a variety of ways. Entergy New Orleans in New Orleans, Louisiana. They're actually passing on their additional savings by reducing rates below what they otherwise would be, especially during the hot summer. They announced that back in April. Kansas City Power and Light in Missouri will actually give back $34.5 million in ongoing annual savings. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission recently approved KCP&L's request to return that portion of the tax reform savings Set at the federal level to customers as quickly as possible. Northwestern Energy Institute, Quad Vest in Tomball, Texas, Alabama Power, Alaska Electric Light and Power in Juneau, Alpena Power in Michigan, Ameren, Illinois in Chicago, Ameren, Missouri in St. Louis. I'll read this one. The Missouri Public Service Commission has approved an agreement that reduces the annual electric revenues of Union Electric Company doing business as Ameren of Missouri. The rate decrease of approximately $166.5 whoa, reflects a reduction in the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%. Residential customers using 1,000 kilowatt hours a month will see electrical rates decrease by about $6.21 per month starting August 1st. Well, we're using more than 1,000 kilowatt hours, so... Appalachian Power Company, Milton, West Virginia, again, uh, Arizona Public Service in Phoenix, Atlanta Gaslight, Atlantic City Electric in New Jersey, Atmos Energy in Owensboro, Kentucky, Avangrid in Orange, Connecticut, Avista in Spokane, Washington. Are you catching the theme here? It's everywhere, all over the country, Baltimore, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Black Hills Energy in South Dakota, California Water Service in San Jose, Centerpoint Energy in Houston. This is a result of the tax reform bill. So you might say, well, some of the people are just going to see a few bucks a month. Yeah, and some of the customers are going to see a lot because their homes are not energy efficient or their air conditioners are not energy efficient. Their furnaces are not energy efficient, what have you. Whatever the case may be, it's savings that come to you as a direct result of the tax reform bill. That's fantastic. Um, I'm not going to argue with anybody about whether or not we should be happy that we're saving money and that our utility companies are charging us less money. That's just nonsensical to argue about that. Instead, we should be just, you know, thank you, Lord, and uh, I'll, I'll have some more of that, please. Thank you. I'd like some more savings. I enjoy the savings. and I'd like some more. That's what we should be doing. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, and then there's also... We talked about the jobs, and then I have this story that I want to go out on, and it dovetails in with the conversation we've been having this entire show about what we do in this boom economy and what we do to be wise with our money and what we do to uh, take advantage of the boom economy. And so one of the things you can do is you can kind of assess your savings. Here's how much money Americans have saved. This article is at CNBC.com. And I was actually surprised to read it, 3 September 2018, so it's fresh. A new study finds the median American household has $4,830 in savings account. That's enough to cover minor emergencies and potentially even a few months of living expenses. Overall, between bank accounts and retirement savings, the median, so half above, half below, American household currently holds holds about $11,700, according to Magnify Money. Yet almost 30% of households have less than $1,000 saved. Among households that report having at least some money saved, the median savings level is much higher at just under $73,000. Now is the time. When you get that extra money in your pay, set some of it aside for the rainy day, for the economic downturn. It's biblical. It will help you sleep better at night. And it's a fantastic thing to do when extra money comes in. That way you're not really missing anything. Have a great weekend. God bless. See you on Monday.